Okay, good morning. Would you turn with me to Romans chapter 7, please? Romans chapter 7. Let me read from verses 1 to verse 6, and then we'll pray together. Romans 7, verse 1. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she, released, she is released from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you have become dead to the law through the body of Christ that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what were in, we were held by, the law having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Let's actually read on. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead, and I was alive once without the law. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it killed me. Therefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the privilege we have once again to gather together, to have your word taught to us the power of it, Lord. We know that the power of the word is when we hear it and it produces faith in us and that faith uh, applied into our action gives us life. We thank you for all that you've accomplished this last couple weeks. We thank you for the Love the Bible Conference, Change Africa. We thank you for all of the speakers that came, for Ken Graves, David Oguinde, Lloyd Pulley, and Josh Blevins. We thank you for the CCA board that was here, also um, all the pastors, even many, many hundreds of pastors that aren't a part of Calvary Chapel, hearing your word taught. And I pray that the work that began and this movement of Love the Bible and Change Africa would 
bring a change to many different people, to many different churches, to many different families. We thank you for all that you accomplished. We know it's through your word and through your spirit that you have done this. Not through the strength of man or the intellect of man, but by your spirit. And we ask that as all those people who were here during the conference have gone about throughout East Africa, that they would apply all that they have learned. There would be repentance and change. And we thank you for Calvary Chapel Elder at Lord, what you've done. And we ask that you continue to pour out your spirit. In Jesus' name we ask. And give us a, an understanding of this passage of scripture we ask in Jesus' name, amen. So we have had um, quite a roller coaster of events at our church with this Love the Bible and Change Africa conference and all that we've been doing here. And it was a great time. Um, but there is more. We, we have a women's conference coming up in June. I don't remember the date off the top of my head, but uh, it is in June. We'll have that promotion and information for you next Sunday. We have also speakers coming from the States. Um, if you're wondering why I haven't heard of this, this is the first time I'm announced. I barely told Kelsey about this, so don't worry, um, ladies. But uh, it's not just a women's meeting like you have monthly. This is going to be a, a, about a three-quarter, half-day conference. We'll provide lunch, um, just a day where the women can get together and, and talk about us men and all the problems we have and learn how to deal with us. So um, that will be in June when a team comes from Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia, and uh, we got great speakers coming for that. So be ready for that announcement next week. If you thought, wow, the worship team's on a break because we've been so busy, it's not true. Most of us are sick today. Myself, uh, Karen, Dina, um, if I'm forgetting anybody, forgive me, but many of us are sick, and that's why you got But sometimes little is better, and I enjoyed hearing that worship from in the room here. In Romans, we get this doctrine that can seem very deep. You know, when I first came to Kenya in 2009, we were kind of connected to this church. It was, it's, a, it's a decent church in this town that's still going. And it was actually the first church I taught at while being in Kenya in my early preaching life. And then on top of that, we also were on the radio at Fish FM for a couple hours a day. We do Bible studies over the radio and all these um, different ministries. And this one pastor kept on saying, wow, this is deep. It's deep. He just over and over, deep, it's deep, it's deep. And at first I thought it was a compliment. I still don't know if it was a compliment or not, but I, I got the feeling that he was saying, give us something we can understand. Um, we um, don't understand all these deep doctrines that you guys keep going on about. 
I don't know if that's really what he was saying, but it was a constant, this is deep. And uh, out of this, beginning to the church the following year in 2010, after I had visited Kenya in 2009, um, and a couple years into our church, our, our church motto is growing deeper together. Growing deeper together. And we believe that, well, it's not even what we believe. You see the scripture up here. Uh, promoting expositional Bible teaching. This is, we, we could have verses all across this sanctuary teaching us the absolute command and necessity for going through the Bible. And those of you who've been at Calvary Chapel any number of months or years understand how the Word of God has become alive to you through the teaching. Even in the Love the Bible conference, having Pastor Ken and Pastor Lloyd teaching us several verses, even chapters in Genesis, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, covering so much of that has awakened um, in you an understanding which brings power because truth is the most powerful thing in our world. There's nothing more powerful than truth. The very man who is responsible for the nuclear bomb is the man who was put in a concentration camp in Russia. And he said, I thought the most powerful weapon was the atom bomb, the nuclear bomb. But I've discovered the most powerful weapon in our world is truth. And um, he said that he believes that uh, the basically communist Russia and uh, um, and Germans' horrific ideologies that killed millions and millions of people did not begin in some military bunker to strategize how they were going to kill Jews and, and, and different people groups, but rather it began in the universities, in the lecture halls. And it's absolutely true. There's evidence that, that pr proves that that is a fact. When people in the universities begin to learn um, that truth is non-existent and, then, and that it's relative. Um, one person's truth is equal to another person's truth. That the world begins to be destroyed. And the world has always been destroyed, but the church preserves the world. It's the salt. It's the light. And, um, you know, in, in the universities of America... When Yale turned into a secular university or, or Harvard or all these Ivy League schools, when they got out, many of these men and women went to Wall Street. And after believing that truth is relative, that is that there is no truth and they can do whatever they want, they began stealing money, stealing millions. I don't know if you guys heard of Bernie Madoff. The guy got away for 30, 25 plus years stealing billions and billions of dollars. And all these guys who went to these schools, once they got caught stealing, they were thrown into prison. So they were only applying what they learned from their professors in universities, and then they got thrown into prison over it. Very interesting. Truth is the most powerful weapon. And as we look at the book of Romans, and we see that it appears that it's going deep. You know, you read what we just read and you're like, well, what does this mean? There is simple understandings. 
It's not that when we go deep, it is only for the smart person. God in his genius God in his genius is able to write a book that a five-year-old can understand. It, it, it really is genius. It, it, he is able to give simple truths in very sublime ways, in beautiful ways. John Wesley was asked, what is a good sermon? And he said, simplicity with sublimity. A word that people can understand while putting it in such a way that is beautiful and majestic. It's textured. It's not just so simple that, that there's no meaning to it, for the word of God is infinite. So don't think as we read this, it's like, well, I really don't understand that, and, I, and there's no way that I can. This is for everyone to understand. He begins, or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law. He is going off of the verse that we studied a couple weeks ago in Romans chapter 6 and verse 14. It says, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. So he is explaining all the way from verse 15 all the way into chapter 7, exactly what he means by that, because these Jews, this religion, has made everything about obeying the written law. And as we get into chapter 7, it's important to note that it's not just talking now about the written law of Moses, but about all of the law that Romans has talked about from chapter 1, including the moral law that is written on our conscience, that is written on our heart, even before we hear the written word, though it's going to go back and forth talking about the written word and the conscience, and it is interchangeable all throughout chapter 7. But it's going off of, it's continuing to explain Romans chapter 14. Excuse me, Romans 6, 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for we're not under the law, but under grace. Here is the assumption. Okay, Paul hates the law. Paul despises what we cherish. Paul is speaking against the law of God, the very law that they followed for hundreds of years. That's not what Paul is doing, but that is the accusation that Paul is receiving. Interestingly enough, and I've told you this the last few weeks, as we've studied Roman, an accusation that has been thrusted upon me. And if that person would have just waited to, to hear, and these Jews waited to hear the explanation, it would have become so much more beautiful to them. But the truth is that those who are under the law will still be ruled by sin. And those who are under grace will be set free into unto righteousness. And Paul is explaining that through the book of Romans, especially after he says this incredibly controversial 
verse in Romans 6.14. We're not under the law, we're under grace. Now remember, he goes on in chapter 7, what we just read, and as we go through this, I speak to those who know the law. I speak to those who are of the law. He's talking to the Jews. But if you think that this doesn't apply to us, the reason why there are so many large portions of Scripture, especially in the epistles of the New Testament, that speak against Judaism, it's because Judaism is indicative not of just all man's religions and all of human history, it is indicative of the human heart, so it is highly applicable to us, completely applicable. What I mean by indicative is it explains man's religions. It, it gives meaning for us to understand why Muslims the way they are, why Hindus are the way they are, or Mormons, or any other religion, because it is indicative, it, it, it gives meaning and understanding to the human heart. And in simple ways, in simple terms, we are prideful, desperately wicked. We want to earn a right place with God. We want to earn his benefits based on what we do, based on who we are, based on our strength, based on our um, intellect and our ability and our smarts. This is indicative of all human beings, but especially young men. Years and years of just trying to, to assert themselves, to make themselves uh, uh, be the great one in front of everyone. And, and, and so when he speaks to those, and as he says to those, those who are of the law, he is, it's not just for the Jews, it's for us. And even in Protestantism, the enemy has come in and, and convinced so many that this Faith that we have in Christ is about a religion over a personal connection and personal intimate relationship with him, with Jesus Christ. So those who are under the law still are under the control of sin. Those who are under grace no longer are under the dominion of sin, but of righteousness and life. Paul's it's a controversial statement, but he goes on to explain in chapter seven. And he says, I speak to those who know the law. So he's gonna say, let me give you an illustration to try to explain to you being set free from the law of sin and death. And he says that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man Therefore, he's going to go on and explain what he is saying in giving the illustration. Now, Paul's intention is not to, to, to begin to change the subject in explaining to us biblical marriage. 
though what he says about marriage here is true because it is the law of God. He is using the law of marriage to illustrate why we need to die to the law and become alive in Christ. He says and gives the explanation in verse four, therefore my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passion which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What Paul is preaching is excellent news, though it confronts deeply to the Jewish person and, as I mentioned earlier, to our sinful nature because we want to earn, we want to be respected, we want to be the ones who achieve everything we have received. But what he is saying is great news. He has just told us that we can be set free from the burden of obeying the law to the degree, which is perfection, but obeying the law to the degree that we earn a place alongside God in heaven in salvation and well beyond that, in obeying the law, earn a place of blessing in this world. That we can be set free from that burden and now enter into a marriage covenant with Jesus Christ. Because we, unable to fulfill the law perfectly, and as we continue to try to fulfill the law perfectly, or at least we recognize we can't fulfill it perfectly, so we try to create a balance, a scale, where our obeying the law outweighs the disobedience of law to the degree that we will earn a place with God in this world of blessing or in the next world of salvation. And he says, you can't do it. But here's the good news. There is one person who has done it. Jesus Christ, whom he's preaching. Jesus Christ, who he's proclaiming. And this person who has fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law has taken the burden from you in obeying the law unto salvation, died on the cross, rose again from the dead, and he is offering you a marriage covenant. That is amazing news. Ladies, if you like a guy really like a guy, you're like, man, this is the guy I want to marry. This is the guy 
that I want to spend the rest of my life for whatever reason. And he comes to you and he says, hey, I know you want to marry me. I know you like me and, and, and all these things. But this is, this is it. You have to drop 15 pounds or whatever. You're overweight, so drop 15 kgs. I would really like you to trim up your eyebrows. Just one eye... Just one eyelash that's off, I, that's going to be a problem. In fact, just take them off and do the, you know, the, that permanent makeup mark there. And he came with a list of things to change his laws to you. Wouldn't that be burdensome? First of all, you would feel immensely insecure. You'd be like, oh my gosh. But let me try this. And he's... And, and, and you try to fulfill, and then you come back for what you thought was all the requirements that he had upon you, and he, and he had a whole nother list. He's like, well, you don't really know all of my laws and regulations for you. You've done these things, but also your hair is a little nappy. I want you to get a horse wig. And he just went on a list, an endless list of requirements. That is bad news burdensome. It, there's, there's insecurities. There's problems. And, and Paul comes in here to a people who are obsessed with keeping the law, obsessed with it. And, and they're so deceived that they actually take pride in their accomplishments of what they have fulfilled, though they have neglected a loving relationship with God and his people. And Paul comes along and says, listen, you can't fulfill it. God is taking you how you are, and he wants to marry you just the way you are. He, he's going to beautify you. He's going to make you a fragrance, but all this is going to come through a marriage covenant, through a relationship with Jesus Christ as you abide in him. Do you understand what kind of news this is to humanity? This is the best news humanity has ever received. He wants to marry us just as we are, though he's going to beautify us. He's going to make us a fragrance. He's going to pour out his spirit in us. We're going to become the nature of God uh, manifested to the world and all these wonderful truths that we study through our life of this church as we study the scripture. But what I just read, he's like, to marry, the Bible says. It, it, it says, therefore, my brethren, you also become dead to the law through the body of Christ. That you may be married to another. It's talking about Christ, to him who rose from the dead. <laughs> we, get, we deceive each other when we get married, don't we? I had a, a friend, he got married to a, a lady. And, and, and don't get me wrong, guys. Please don't be offended by this. But she, very, very pretty lady. But he said once they got married, the hair came off, the eyelashes, the, the nails, the makeup. And he woke up after the, you know, during the honeymoon with all these things had come off. And he's like, where's my wife? 
What have you done with her? He could barely recognize her. And we do the same thing, guys, don't we? We dress up, we do our hair, we make ourselves nice, and, and, then, and then our spouses get to see us in all of our flaws. They get to see us with all of the problems, both physical and spiritual. And, and, it, and, and it, creates, it can create a lot of strife. And Christ, our Lord, sees through all of it. I mean, there was one comedian, he, you know, he's, he, he's talking about telling the truth to women, and, and it's a secular comedian, but he says, you, you, you're, that ain't your hair. You know, he's talking, you ain't that tall because she's wearing high heels. Those ain't your eyelashes. You, you know, and he goes on this list and he says, you expect me to tell the truth and everything about you is a lie. And God comes along and, and, and sees not just our physical flaws, as I'm illustrating, but our spiritual flaws. We have no idea the level of deception we are under. Every one of us in this room are deceived about one thing or the other. You better believe that. Every one of us in this room, to a certain degree, is doing what's right in our own eyes. And we need to be sanctified. We need to be matured in Christ. And he sees through all of it. And he still wants us. He still loves us. He still wants to be our husbands. He wants to be our groom, our husband, all of us. This is incredible news. Even us guys, we got a husband. All right? He is our groom. He is our God. And it's this personal relationship. He's trying to do away with being connected to him through the obedience of the law. As so many people are connected. And what's interesting to to me is what a shame it is for so many people to have a more stricter obedience to God through law keeping than through relationship. You look at the Jews in Israel. And I'm not saying all of their obedience is right. It's ridiculous. You go into an elevator on Shabbat on, on the Sabbath day, they can't press the number because it's, it would be like igniting a fire and it's against their religion. So when, if they go to a hundred-story building in Israel today on Saturdays, they have to go to every floor because they can't press the button. And they sit there. If they're on the 80th floor, they go to 80 floors and watch the elevator open and close, open and close, open and close. In fact, in Israel, they turn off the ability to press the button because it would be like lighting a fire. But so many of these people have a stricter adherence to the obeying of the law than we have a loving relationship with God. My point is this, so many of us prefer being under the law over a relationship. We prefer it 
Because if we can have a list of things that we must fulfill, then we'll do that and then we'll be done. All right, go to church on Sunday. You got to do that. Then I'm done and then I can go do what I want. Maybe your list is as small as that. Okay, I'm going to give a little bit of my income. Then I'm done. Maybe your list contains five things. Maybe it contains 10 things. If you're real religious, it contains 50 things. Nevertheless, that is not what God is calling us to. God is calling us to a relationship where Christ is our groomsman. And that is the difference in stepping out from under the law, which still carries the dominion of sin and death, into a life under grace, which is exactly a life of righteousness and joy and peace. You can tell what, what, what the Bible is trying to get us to see is a relationship over a religion. And you can tell the difference between somebody who walks with Christ, speaks with Christ, who knows the presence of Christ over somebody who is walking in a religion. I can tell the difference. Joe Foch would be a good example. Joe Foch, you can just tell when this guy when you speak to him, when he gets up to preach, that he just spent time with Jesus Christ. He, has, he was in the presence. It's kind of like the Shekinah glory. You understand, church, it's vastly different, vastly different than just being part of a Christian religion. That's what Paul's trying to get the Jews to see. That's what the word of God is trying to get us to realize. When we were in the flesh, the sinful passions were aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. It's saying when you're under the law, you try to obey the law, and in your obedience fall short, and for the wages of sin is death. In your trying to obey, you sin, and for the wages of sin is death. That's what the Bible's saying. Those who are under the law, it's death upon death upon death. You're just destroying yourself. But when you walk away from being under the law through the doorway of grace into a relationship with Christ, who is your husband, who is your groom, then you walk in the newness of life. That doorway is grace. So no longer are you having to, not that it's wrong to study the the law of God, but this goes beyond. This is the conscience. Remember, this isn't just talking about the law of Moses anymore. This is talking about the death that comes upon you every time you're living in a legalistic law religion. Go back to the illustration, ladies and gentlemen, especially ladies of a guy that you want to marry and he has all these requirements of you. 
got to do this. You got to do this. You got to do this. You got to do this. And then you try to do it. And then you don't, you don't really accomplish all. And then he has more of a list. The burden of that, it's just death to the spirit. It's insecurities. It's a lack of joy. There's no peace. Or even after you got married to that person, you had to fulfill an exact law or regiment or he's going to leave you. Imagine the insecurities of that. I mean, when we share our vows on our wedding day, can you imagine our vows saying, instead of for in sickness and in health, for rich or for poor, uh, 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 you know, until death, death do us part, can you imagine the vow chain saying, for richer or for richer, like I heard a Nigerian say at their wedding? Or, or for richer, for richer, so the moment you become poor, I'm leaving you. Or, or in, in, in health or in health, the moment you become sick and I have to take care of your cancer or I have to take care of this, I'm leaving you. Until death, no, not until death do us part because when you get old and ugly, I'm leaving you and I'm trading you in for a younger, prettier version. Can you imagine the insecurity and pain that would come with something like that? That is what living under the law does. It produces death. It produces struggle. It produces insecurity. It produces pain. But being set free by a God who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You are my bride and I will always be there for you. And my blood will cover your sin. When sin came in, grace much more abounded. That is a beautiful, wonderful, great news of God. That's what Paul is proclaiming. It's incredible. We're only going to get into six verses, it appears today. But listen, guys, these six verses, the newness, the Bible says, of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. God comes not just to the outward appearance and changes. He comes to the innermost parts of our heart. And that's where he dwells. And you have to understand what the Bible is saying. He is inviting us into a deep, personal relationship with him. It's not just a set of written rules. It is a spiritual, intimate, personal relationship with him to the point where he's saying, be my wife. Be my wife. And ladies, you must understand that Christ is your husband way before your husband or anybody other man in your life who might become your husband. Men, you must understand that Christ comes first before anything. C.S. Lewis, and I've mentioned this before, let me mention it again. C.S. Lewis, 
in all of his writings, in one of his books, he writes about how personal God is, how personal he is to us, and how unique true Christianity is, how unique it is compared to all these religions that are interpersonal. They're not personal at all. You go ask a Muslim, is Allah personal to you? Do you have a relationship with him? They won't even, they don't even understand that language. No, he's not. He's God in a far distant place and we do what he says or we get in trouble. And if we do what he says, we'll get paradise. That's what it's about. And C.S. Lewis is talking about the real and the living God who is completely personal. And, And at the risk of sounding God, you know, kind of like a narcissist, you got to understand the beauty of God's abilities, of God's power. God is transcendent. He transcends time. That means God exists outside of time. We can't comprehend this because we have always existed in time, one, two, three. Um, we need to end now because people are going to be showing up for the second service. And we're in time all the time. I got to catch a flight. I think by 4:50 today, though I don't. I, I, I'm flying to the states for three days. It's good. that is not exciting to me, to be honest with you. Especially being half sick. But if I don't get there on time, I'm going to miss the plane. We live in a world that is a construct of time. God doesn't live in this. So God have, could hear a prayer in 1942. And if that person's still alive, answer the prayer today as if he's answering it in 1942. Now, I'm not trying to get weird, but listen to me. He's trying to explain how personal God is. So the only prayer that God hears is your prayer while hearing every single Christian's prayer at the same time. This makes him the most personal God ever invented. He's the only God ever, but but all the inventions of God's. Nobody is this personal. God is only with you every second of the day. When you sit there and say, I don't know if God's hearing my prayer, he's only hearing your prayer because he exists outside of time. He is the most personal God. When God makes intercession, as the Bible says, that he ever makes intercession for us, he is praying for you, believer, born-again Christian, child of God, wife of God, bride of Christ, he is praying for you only for the last 2,000 years as he's been making intercession at the right hand of the Father. Do you know how remarkable this God is that we serve and beyond the God that we serve, a God we are deeply personal with? This is amazing. If you think God's not hearing you, He hears. He is so powerful that he only hears you while at the same time hearing every one of his children. This makes God more remarkable than any invention of any other religion. And here's the the last part of this. 
when we talk about God knowing everything, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, if your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart and he knows all things. Verse 20, if your heart condemns you not, you have confidence towards God. When I read that years ago, when I was living in a legalistic relationship with Christ, just do what the Bible says, which I do want to do what the Bible says. And we're going to even go on further next week talking about the law is good. The law is is beautiful. It's righteous. And and Paul's going to correct any type of more problems even further in this regard. But if our heart condemns us because we have broken the law somehow, we have sinned, we feel guilty, we feel condemned, understand that you don't even know the extent of your guilt. The Bible says if your heart condemns you, God knows all things and God is greater than your heart. He knows all the things you don't know about yourself. You have no idea, ladies and gentlemen, you have no idea how much you have broken the law, how unrighteous you really are, how unworthy you really are, and yet he still died for you. He still prays for you. He still loves you. He will neither leave us nor forsake us. Very important. Let's have the worship team come. So when we talk about these things, what the Bible is trying to get us to understand is to be set free from the law, is to walk through the doorway of grace and have a personal relationship with Christ. And I'll repeat it again. Do you pray? If you don't have a prayer life, and I mean a, a real prayer life. You were living under the law. You don't have a personal relationship with Christ. And it's time for you to walk away from legalism and shame and condemnation and insecurity into a life that is personal, intimate with Jesus where there is joy, peace. The fullness of joy is the presence of the Lord. That's why this is so important, ladies and gentlemen. That's why this is so important, because God wants you to walk in the fullness of knowing him. And that is coming out of religion into a relationship. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word once again, that you have invited us to be married to you. You've invited us to be married. We thank you, Lord for this invitation. And I say yes, and I know many in here say yes. We don't want a set of rules, we want you. We don't want a a list of what we're supposed to do. We want your presence in our lives, your presence in our church and in our families. And I ask this, Lord, that this revelation, that this good news would become abundantly clear to each person who heard it today. And I ask you to pour out your spirit. And as we give, because we love you, and we love your gospel, and we love 
to spread your kingdom on earth. I pray you would receive it and grant us wisdom in the administration of these gifts. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Would you guys stand as the ushers and deacons come forward to receive today's offering? God bless you.